Congress has sat idly by as three different presidents have used the 2001 AUMF to carry out seemingly endless war and justify military actions no one could have imagined when Congress passed the AUMF in the days following the attacks. I have children that are students in the school system that administers tests to determine whether they'll be in jail by high school. I fight for public quality schools because elected officials across the country turn public schools in black and brown neighborhoods into charter schools and hand the keys to wealthy corporations. I do this because I have no choice. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Averam. Now, March is beginning with lots of big issues being addressed in D.C., issues that affect everyday Americans and people around the globe, more so than the latest tweet or scandal from the Trump administration, like Jared Kushner forking in private business loans or Ben Carson spending tens of thousands on ritzy office furniture while overseeing public housing cuts. So this week, the Supreme Court began hearing arguments in Janus versus AFSCME, a case backed by billionaires that would allow workers who are not union members but receive pay raises and other benefits negotiated by a union to not pay union dues. Observers say that this court challenge, which has been long in the making by the right wing, is designed to destroy public unions by starving them of the revenue they need to survive. Public unions are the largest portion of what remains of organized labor in the United States, and tens of thousands of people gathered February 24th at events around the country for the Working People's Day of Action. On today's show, we'll hear diverse voices from the D.C. rally for that action. But first, our headlines. This week, there was rare attention to the U.S. involvement in endless wars around the globe. First, on Tuesday, a bipartisan congressional hearing was held on the 2001 Authorization for the Use of Military Force, or AUMF, which has been used for more than 16 years by Presidents George W. Bush, Obama, and now Trump to justify wars and attacks around the world, including in the Philippines, Afghanistan, Yemen, and Somalia, in the name of defeating supposed terrorist organizations without prior congressional approval. It has also been used for detention without charge or trial, and extrajudicial killings by drone strikes. Representative Barbara Lee, Democrat of California, the sole member of Congress to vote against the AUMF in 2001, co-chaired this week's hearing. This hearing couldn't be timelier. Just last week, the Trump administration claimed that it really needs no legal authority from Congress to indefinitely keep American military forces in Syria and Iraq. And this is in the territory, of course, where ISIS is no longer considered a threat. And that's why today uh, we sent a letter to Speaker Ryan 
with over 100 co-signers urging a debate and vote on an AUMF for Syria. We cannot afford to wait any longer while these wars expand. For too long, Congress has ignored our duties on these ongoing wars. Now, an updated 2018 Congressional Research Service report documenting the unclassified uses of the 2001 AUMF shows that it has been cited 41 times in 18 different countries since it came on the books. Now, in 2016, the report showed 37 citations in 15 different countries. Clearly, this is a huge problem, and it's only getting worse. This report only looked at the unclassified uses. How many other times has it been used without the knowledge of Congress or the American people? Rita Simeon, International Legal Counsel at Human Rights First, who testified at Tuesday's hearing, said that Congress must first discuss and debate the difficult question of whether the war Senate approach of the past 16 and a half years has been effective, and that if Congress does decide that continued military force is needed, a new AUMF should do four things. Name the specific enemy that military force is authorized against. Include robust reporting. Require compliance with U.S. obligations under international law and include a sunset provision as a safeguard against perpetual armed conflict. Authorized war was also the target on Wednesday as a coalition of senators led by Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont introduced a bipartisan joint resolution which calls for the removal of American armed forces from Yemen. The Trump administration continues to expand the U.S. military's role in fueling the Saudi-led coalition's deadly assault which Sanders reminded those attending the announcement has killed at least 10,000 civilians, wounded 40,000, and sparked a humanitarian crisis of cholera and famine. We believe that as Congress has not declared war or authorized military force in this conflict, the United States' involvement in Yemen is unconstitutional and unauthorized, and U.S. military support of the Saudi coalition must end. Without congressional authorization, our engagement in this war should be restricted to providing desperately needed humanitarian aid and diplomatic efforts to resolve it. Sanders said that the bill will force the first ever vote in the Senate to withdraw U.S. armed forces from an unauthorized war. Now, in an update on immigrant rights, this week the Supreme Court ruled that people held in immigration detention are not entitled to periodic hearings to decide whether they may be released on bail. Justice Stephen G. Breyer, summarizing his dissent from the bench, said that the decision was most likely the first time ever that the Supreme Court had interpreted a federal law to allow the long-term confinement of people held in the U.S. and accused of misconduct without an opportunity to obtain bail. And then on Wednesday, the Supreme Court decided that it will not take up the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals DACA case as Jeff Sessions and the Department of Justice requested. Following two federal court injunctions in California and New York, the case will now have to follow the normal appeals process, giving immigrant youth who currently have or have had DACA more time to submit renewal applications. The decision came a day before 11 undocumented young people completed a 250-mile walk to D.C. from Manhattan for a Clean Dream Act. Some in the group were arrested by U.S. Capitol Police on March 1st. 
when they held a sit-down protest in an intersection near the Capitol. My name is Aldo Solano. My, My name, name is Aldo Solano. Solano. I am a human being. I am a human being. Before any status. Before any status. I am a human being. I am a human being. With the soul, the heart. The soul, the heart. And I am here to fight. Advocates for a Clean Dream Act are planning a next series of national protests for March 5th. In climate news, the Arctic is experiencing the hottest winter since record-keeping began, and according to The Guardian, this shift is causing blizzards in Europe and forcing scientists to reconsider even their most pessimistic forecasts of climate change. Although it could yet prove to be a freak event, the primary concern is that the global warming is eroding the polar vortex, powerful winds that once insulated the frozen north. Seasoned observers have described what is happening as crazy, weird, and simply shocking. Michael Mann, director of the Earth System Science Center at Pennsylvania State University, told The Guardian that the Arctic has always been regarded as a bellwether because of the vicious circle that amplify human-caused warming in that particular region, and it is sending out a clear warning, he said. In culture and media, several movies highlighted on On the Ground are up for an Academy Award, including the horror comedy Get Out, the dramas Mudbound and The Post, and the documentary Strong Island and Faces Places. And finally, our environmental justice contributor, Michelle Roberts, just returned from Mississippi, where she spoke with the elder freedom fighter and author, Hollis Watkins, who participated on Wednesday, February 28th in a mass rally in Jackson for environmental justice, the right to work, and living wages. He led the rally in song and urged those gathered to hold elected officials accountable to serving the public. That's it. said that... The light yes. that we had yes. represented our talents. Yes. And if we got together and put our talents to use around the same issues, then we would be much more successful. Yes. Tell it. Tell it. So she said our light was our talent. Yes. Get together and let it shine. Hollis Watkins' book is entitled Brother Hollis, The Sankofa of a Movement Man. And those are our headlines and happenings. When we come back, Gerald Horn joins us. Stay with us. So alive. 
going to turn to international news with on the grounds geopolitical analyst professor gerald horn and the first news i want to ask you about today gerald is the vote in the south african parliament to hasten the redistribution of land to the black majority so one report i saw indicated that 20 years after the genocidal system of apartheid most of the land in south africa is still white owned you are correct Uh, There has been some movement on that front, but certainly not enough. It's also important to note that the ruling African National Congress, in some ways, was following the lead of the opposition economic freedom fighters who have made this one of their signature issues. I should also say that current President Cyril Ramaphosa has issued a number of caveats with regard to how land reform should proceed, I'm sure he's looking over his shoulder at neighboring Zimbabwe, where after they moved towards land reform, it led to punishing sanctions imposed by the North Atlantic countries in solidarity with their kith and kin, as the saying goes, uh, in Harare, which helped to drive the economy into the ditch. So this is going to be a very important maneuver to watch. I should also say that the Nelson Mandela Foundation, along that same line, has also moved to get determined by the courts that use of the old apartheid-era flag is a form of hate speech, which has been stoutly resisted by many within the Africana minority and their elites who formerly ruled in Pretoria. Wow, so kind of similar to the Confederate flag issue here, huh? Precisely. So on the land reform, only one story I saw, I think in Al Jazeera, said that there would be compensation for, say, farmers whose land was expropriated. And then all the other stories, including one, of course, in Breitbart, said that, no, this new law would allow land seizure without compensation. And that was what was emphasized. So which is it or is it a combination of both? Well, I would say it's a combination I referred in my previous remark to the caveats about President Ramaphosa, and I think that the question as to whether or not there should be compensation is something that's going to have to be worked out because there are those who suggest that taking land without compensation requires an amendment to the Constitution. Now, that is rejected by others, but that's certainly one of the wrinkles that needs to be worked out. Okay, well, I'm, I think a lot of us looking at the situation will say, you know, do you compensate a thief or a rapist? Is this going to be similar to how Haiti had to compensate France for their former former enslaved Africans? You know, he, you know, here's your compensation for your inability to continue stealing and raping. So <laughs> that's just how I look at it. And I think a lot of people here who were active in the anti-apartheid movement will look at it. Okay, well, I think you have news out of China, and I think you also have news of this ongoing hysteria among the U.S. ruling elite around China and Russia. 
Well, first of all, with regard to China, there was a stunning article in the New York Times the other day that suggested that when defrocked Trump aide Steve Bannon went to address a room full of U.S. foreign policy elites, he thought that they would be grilling him about his anti-Beijing posture, but instead they were grilling him about the apparent unwillingness to carry through on an anti-Beijing posture. That is to say that a new Cold War is in train that this time targets China. In that context, note that President Xi Jinping is moving to, to remove uh, term limits so that he can continue as president indefinitely, and that is seen as a response in China to have stability at the top, at the helm, in response to this new aggressiveness from Washington. Washington is expected to slap sanctions on China with regard to steel and aluminum, which would accompany the recent sanctions imposed on China with regard to solar panels from China. And so basically it's on in terms of this uh, new Cold War between Russia, excuse me, between China and the United States, which brings us to Russia because one of the points often made by former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger is that the United States should not try to take on Russia and China simultaneously, but that's precisely what's happening, particularly given this hysteria about Russia's alleged interference in the U.S. presidential elections and helping many liberals to avoid and evade grappling with the fact that 63 million people voted for Donald J. Trump by pointing the finger of accusation of Vladimir Putin as helping to deliver that result. In that context, just recently, Mr. Putin introduced a new series of weapons, including cruise weapons that apparently can fly low and evade U.S. radar, and also underground, excuse me, underwater drone weapons, which would be quite destructive to U.S. submarines, particularly nuclear submarines. And so this is a new stage in an ongoing conflict between Moscow and Washington that's made even worse by this ongoing conflict between Beijing and Washington. Well, I guess segueing somewhat from Russia, I'm basically kind of like losing my mind over the coverage of Syria and Palestine. And you see Syria covered in two different ways. If you look at Western mainstream media and uh, media coming out of Russia and other media outlets that are just say more, just more independent of corporate media. And uh, it seems the same playbook seems to be in use that was in use in Aleppo. Uh, there is this an ongoing con now that Russia has left Syria and many of the rebels or you know extremists <laughs> have been allowed to kind of reconcentrate near Damascus. There's this ongoing conflict now, and so now Syria is being blamed for basically, I guess, participating in the ongoing civil war. I even heard one report in what is deemed progressive media saying that Syria had invaded this neighborhood, <laughs> had, had invaded their own country. So anyway, what, when you look at what's happening in Syria and the fact that the U.S. is still there uninvited, what are your thoughts? Well, it's a real tinderbox. Um, first of all, you have this apparent conflict between the United States and its NATO allies, speaking of Turkey, that is to say that 
Turkey is very upset with Washington because Washington has been backing Kurdish forces in Syria. Turkey feels that these Kurdish forces in Syria will ally with the Kurdish minority across the border in Turkey to the detriment of the Ankara regime. And this is causing Turkey to move closer to Russia and Iran, which still are backing the Assad regime in Damascus. It's a tinderbox, as suggested, and it's subject to a further explosion, I'm afraid. Okay, well, close to home, I think there was some news in the, in the New York Times this week uh, that raised an eyebrow around uh, Steve Pinker. Steven Pinker is a celebrated Harvard academic who has a new book out which purports to be a celebration of what he terms uh, enlightenment values. And this particular approach has been endorsed by Bill Gates, the multi-billionaire amongst others. But his review pointed out celebration of so-called enlightenment values causes him to rationalize the so-called Tuskegee syphilis experiment beginning in the 1930s when the U.S. public health authorities refused to treat effectively a sexually transmitted disease amongst men of African descent, although these men thought that they were being treated, which allowed this disease to spread like wildfire throughout Alabama. Uh, fortunately, this was uncovered, not least, the efforts of Martin Luther King's former lawyer, Fred Gray, which led to an apology by U.S. President Bill Clinton in the late 1990s. Now, Stephen Pinker, Pinker, in his haste to celebrate science, overlooks this crime against humanity and tries to rationalize it. But on more sober reflection, I don't think we should be surprised by this, because as a number of historians, including myself, have sought to point out, this highly celebrated so-called enlightenment was basically an enlightenment that helped to justify racism and white supremacy, and ultimately the slave trade. And given that rather heinous record, we should not find it surprising that it's now being used to rationalize a crime against humanity committed in Tuskegee, Alabama. Well, I guess that's a fitting note to end our talk today. Uh, I'm thinking about your most recent book, The Apocalypse of Settler Colonialism. It kind of bookends for me, the first talking about South Africa and you know what's happening there and then ending with this Steve Pinker and his thoughts on the Enlightenment. So I've been speaking with our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn. Thank you, Gerald. Thank you.
If you're just tuning in, this is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. And so this week, the Supreme Court began hearing arguments in Janus versus AFSCME, a case backed by billionaires that would allow workers who are not union members but receive pay raises and other benefits negotiated by the union to not pay union dues. Observers say that this court challenge is designed to destroy public unions by starving them of the revenue they need to survive. Public unions are the largest portion of what remains of organized labor in the United States, and tens of thousands of people gathered February 24th at events around the country for the Working People's Day of Action. Here are diverse voices from the D.C. rally for that day of action, starting with Amy Schuler, Secretary-Treasurer for the National AFL-CIO. Good morning, D.C. There is no place I would rather be this morning than right here with all of you and thinking about what Dr. King once said. A man dies when he refuses to stand up for that which is right. A man dies when he refuses to stand up for justice. A man dies when he refuses to take a stand for that which is true. Well, today we are standing up for what is right. We are standing up for justice, and we are standing up for the truth. And on Monday, the Supreme Court, right down the street, will hear arguments in Janus versus Ask Me. And we are all here to make one thing clear, that working people will not be silenced. We're going to speak up. We're going to tell the truth about this case. And we know what the agenda is, don't we? The agenda is simple. More power for big corporations and fewer rights for the rest of us. Period. And this fight isn't about just one man named Mark Janus in Illinois. It's about the single mom who relies on a strong union to bargain a decent wage. It's about the safety and economic security of a firefighter who puts their life on the line every single day. It's about the teacher who wonders whether they might have to do the same. And last week in Parkland, Florida, a football coach named Aaron Feiss lost his life by throwing himself in front of bullets to protect his students. His act of courage is a reminder that we should be expanding rights for our public servants, not taking them away. Today we are standing up for the everyday American heroes who protect us and educate us, who care for us when we're sick, who make our government run, and who keep our communities strong. And that's what working people do every day, and that's what hardworking union members do every day to make lives better for everyone. Corporations are threatening this dignity in pursuit of the almighty dollar. And they want to concentrate wealth in the hands of the few while keeping us poor and weak and divided. And Janice is not the first attack on our rights, is it? And it won't be the last. Now we have a huge target on our back because we are the most powerful force for working families on the planet. Unions built the middle class. We won retirement security. We created safety. 
trying to destroy us? Well, they know. They want more power. And they know that keeping working people from having power by joining together makes them stronger. Are we going to let that happen? And we know how this decision, this Supreme Court decision, is going to affect women in particular, especially African-American women. Because Janus, yes, is a broad attempt to undermine working people, but is a direct assault on those in the public sector. And black women make up nearly 18% of public sector workers. So this is going to add insult to injury for African-American women who already face a double pay gap based on race and based on gender, earning only 67 cents on the dollar compared to white men. Now, Mark Janis and his corporate backers want to make life harder for those who have chosen public service. And I think if Mr. Janis doesn't like the pay and the benefits and the rights that he has negotiated by his union, then why doesn't he try working in a non-union workplace and leave us alone? But no matter, no matter what he and his corporate friends do, we, we have the power to make this Janus case irrelevant. What do I mean by that? Well, if we unleash a whole national campaign like we're doing today to demonstrate the value of unions, and I know folks in the public sector are doing this now, but throughout the labor movement, if we show that the labor movement is the best way to make change, the best way to bring people together for a voice, and we make ourselves essential to everyone's lives, they're gonna want to join unions and Janice will be irrelevant. That's right. So let's demonstrate our value, folks. Let's demonstrate our value every day. Let's organize. Let's bargain. Let's continue to lift up our families and our communities and build on those successes because we have the power to build and determine our economic future. It's in our hands. Now, Monday, lawyers are going to be busy up there at the Supreme Court trying to persuade five people to decide this case. Well, I want each of you to do the same. And in the spirit of what Jackie said, this is about action. So why don't we each commit to talking to five people that we know, friends, relatives, coworkers, neighbors, maybe even a total stranger, and talk to them about the value of coming together and the value of fighting for our economic rights. Talk to young people working their first job. Talk to people who have never even considered joining a union before and show five people why unions matter. Can you do that? Because I can tell you one thing, one thing with certainty. If we show our value, we tell our story, no court case will be able to stop us. Thank you.
join me in welcoming to the stage Chris Shelton, president of CWA. Good morning, sisters and brothers. I thought this was a union crowd, not a church breakfast. Good morning, sisters and brothers. So, you know, we're here today for lots and lots of reasons. And one of the main ones is what's going to happen in the Supreme Court on Monday, or what's going to start to happen. We also are here today because 50 years ago, a couple of sanitation workers got killed. And the rest of those sanitation workers decided that that was the last straw, that they were going on strike. They were going on strike in the deep south. And they went on strike, and Dr. Martin Luther King showed up to show his solidarity with those strikers, and he got killed for it. Now the same forces that, A, killed those two sanitation workers and forced their comrades to go out on strike on the street are the forces that are arrayed against us in the Supreme Court and will be sitting on the other side from our union brothers and sisters in AFSCME on Monday. Make no mistake, those are the same goddamn people that every single day this country fight unions, fight workers because of one thing and one thing only, greed, greed, greed. And that's why those two sanitation workers died and that's why Dr. Martin Luther King died and that's why this has to be more than one day where we all stand around and listen to speeches. Sisters and brothers, we're calling this a day of action and it is a day of action. But what we need to do is make it the first day of action, not the last day of action. Today, brothers and sisters, to be the second shot heard round the world. We need today to make sure that those in the Supreme Court understand that this is going to be a war. And we are not going to lose that war. We gotta fight like hell to make sure that we win that war and that workers around the world win that war.
Washington, D.C. public schools, nine schools, six involuntary transfers, mainly because of my advocacy for my profession, for my students and my colleagues. And of course, I've seen a lot in my 44 years in the classroom and a lot in my union. And I bet you all agree, if ever there was a time when educators needed a voice, it's now. On that note, I want to give a shout out to all WTU members on the plaza and also my brothers and sisters in the National Education Association. just like us, had to step into a hail of bullets to save their students' lives. They were members of my national union, the American Federation of Teachers. And five years ago at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Connecticut, those were our AFT brothers and sisters who died, hugging their children in their classrooms. We can't hear their voices now, so we must speak for them. If you are an educator or a parent or simply a human being, you know it's time to speak up. School employees have a lot of jobs to do every day. Before first responder is added to our list of duties, we need to talk. Because if we wanted to pack pistols on the job, we would have signed up for the military or the police force. We need to have the freedom to talk honestly about injustices in our workplaces. We need the freedom to organize and stand together against the injustices. And we need the freedom to speak up when we or our brothers and sisters are treated unjustly. On this National Day of Action, we remember that in February, 50 years ago, the sanitation workers of Memphis, Tennessee went on strike. Those men weren't asking for the moon. They only wanted their wages, the right to work safely and to live in dignity. The Memphis sanitation strike of February 1968 was triggered by the senseless and preventable deaths of two black men, two black sanitation workers, Echo Cole and Robert Walker, when they were both crushed by defective garbage compactors. Mm. Remember their names, Echo Cole and Robert Walker. They were men, black men, who were killed that day because by the strict rules of racial segregation applied in Memphis at that time, black sanitation workers were forbidden from going into segregated department stores or other public buildings as white workers could. Instead, Echo Cole and Robert Walker and all black sanitation workers in Memphis were forced to climb into what has long been known as defective trash compactors with the loose trash to get out of the rain, snow, and other elements. They were killed when the trash compactors malfunctioned and crushed them to death. Two other black Memphis sanitation workers had been killed in 1964 in exactly the same way. White sanitation workers in Memphis at that time would not have been killed this way since they were not limited by the rules of segregation. It was the senseless death of these two black sanitation workers that triggered the Memphis strike and the intervention of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who was assassinated two months later. Today, we remember them. The children, the workers, the leaders, the educators. We honor them and we say, never again. We say, never again. We know over there, Congress and our courts are deep in strategies on how to silence us, but it's not gonna work. This is a democracy. Our voices are supposed to ring out, but look around us. Big corporate money is gagging us.
big spenders in the billionaires club are buying up politicians and judges. And big lies are driving the White House and the Department of Education like the big new lie that President Trump wants to improve safety in schools. In fact, Trump's current budget has completely eliminated school programs in violence prevention and mental health services. Many of us here today are targets of Trump's budget. We are public servants who believe government is a force for good. This makes us a target of the billionaires who are rigging our economy against working people. Billionaires like the Koch brothers and the family of Benson DeVos, our frightening, disappointing U.S. Secretary of Education. How did a member of the wicked DeVos family become a cabinet secretary at the highest level of our federal government? It's like a horror movie. These people don't want government to work. They want government to shrink. They see no need for us who are here today in this, in this plaza, the public employees who serve, protect, educate, help and heal the citizens of our nation. They want us to go away and comply with their demands. And above all, these wealthy families want their taxes to go away. Don't ask them to worry about children, about immigrants, people of color, those people from S-hole countries, the dependent poor, the working poor, don't ask them to care about those. From union members with middle class jobs to the poorest child in the neighborhood, we are all their targets. They've got us all in their crosshairs, and they know what target practice means. These billionaire bullies are the same dark money operatives who were huge checks, wrote huge checks to the National Rifle Association. Right now, their target is America's public servants and our unions. But let's remember the lessons we learned from Dr. King, who showed up for the striking workers in Memphis, Tennessee. Dr. King saw that civil rights will not take root without economic rights. That's what the Supreme Court will take on Monday morning. But we'll be there because we show up. Right now in cities all across America, thousands of workers, women, LGBTQ activists, aspiring Americans are gathering shoulder to shoulder. Here we are, and we're beautiful. Speaking for the educators here today, we want you to know we show up and we're fighting for your children's lives every day. For all of us, the threats are real. It may not be an AR-15. Maybe it's a voucher. Maybe it's a canceled art class or band rehearsal. Maybe it's an overcrowded classroom or a lack of textbooks or the absence of a social worker or a school nurse when a child needs help. That's why our unions are so precious to us. So we'll be outside the Supreme Court early Monday morning at 8 a.m. to let our voices ring out. I want you to know this fight is not new. We anticipated this moment and this attack before now. But in troubled times, we always find each other. We are always organizing. We are stronger because enough is enough. It's up to us to fight back. Like all of you, we're ready to fight back and we'll win. You're listening to Voices from the Working People's Day of Action in D.C., held February 24th at Freedom Plaza. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. Now, back to Voices from the Working People's Day of Action. Next speaker 
is Governor Kate Brown of Oregon. Hello, beautiful union brothers and 
director of UFCW Local 400. I am proud to stand here on behalf of our 36,000 workers. Retail workers, grocery store workers, our members, like public sector members, are people of color, immigrants, women, moms, dads, people that want to go to work every day to make enough money to take care of their family, but also that have made a conscious decision to join a union. It will not let their rights in the union be watered down because people want to play politics. I stand here proudly knowing that we have fought many fights. Right here in D.C., right across the street, we fought together to win a minimum wage increase. We fought together to win paid sick days. All these common sense things. We fought more recently, had a long, hard fight for paid family medical leave. Unfortunately, there was no politician that woke up in the morning and said, what can I do to help working people? No, the exact opposite happens. We have to spend many times rallying, protesting, walking halls and lobbying, meeting with elected officials, showing them data that if you just do the right thing for working people, we won't bankrupt business. Pleading for just basic rights, common sense things that people need every day to take care of their families and be productive citizens. And when we do this, oftentimes talking to elected officials, trying to explain to them how doing the right things for workers or doing the right thing for America, it gets hard. And it gets hard to a place that you have to remind yourself, why do you do this work? And when I go home sometimes at night, and think about and need to be reminded why I'm doing this work, I remind myself of the young woman that's working behind the cash register, one of our members who's hoping that when the schedule comes out, they can get enough hours to make that dollar amount work for them, to make sure they can pay their bills. I'm fighting for my mother, who's a retired police officer who gave up so many hours to be at home with us and now she hopes that her pension's not attacked. I fight for my sister, who's a nurse for the government, and every time they threaten to shut it down, she worries about how she's gonna pay for childcare for my niece. But most of all, most importantly, I am a mother, and why I fight is so that my daughter, Dylan, when she enters the workforce, she doesn't have to give up her right to have a voice. She doesn't have to no longer fight for injustice. When she enters the workforce, she is going to come in saying, I am woman.
action, and he would ask me to sit behind him and pick the paint out of his hair. He never came to school with me, he was always working and rarely at home. And I thought that this was because we're Mexican, that this is because we're immigrants. And I found out that really it's because of global war and trade policy. It's because of this attack on working people around the globe. And so I want a NAFTA replacement that raises wages for workers in all three countries, gets rid of special corporate rights, and raises and enforces labor and environmental standards across North America. everybody and I am here to say the People's Climate Movement stands with workers and unions in the streets today. My name is Paul Getzos. I am the National Director of the People's Climate Movement. I am also the child of immigrants and the son of a garment worker and a secretary who worked long hours every day to bring home the food and the money that fed me and my family. I am the brother of an 1199 member whose union supported her, paid her good wages and gave her the pension so she could live well. The issues of immigrant and workers' rights and economic justice run deep in my blood. I fight for vibrant communities by working to build a broad-based coalition and movement that not only demands bold action on workers' rights, immigrant rights, and all the concerns and racial justice rights, but also to protect our planet, our environment, and the water and the air we breathe. This administration and Congress, right down that avenue, only have one goal, to dismantle the important laws and regulations and policies that protect working people, that protect our communities, and protect our planet. It is time for a change, and it is us, up to us to make sure that change happens. This transformation demands that all of us, workers, environmentalists, students, youth, indigenous people, immigrants, LGBTQ communities work together to hold our elected officials and our private sector leaders accountable around justice, jobs, and climate change. It is up to us to make the needed investments, not only to build a new economy that protects our planet, but builds a new economy that provides good jobs, living wage jobs, and protects all workers in that new economy. To change everything, we need everyone. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Voices from the Working People's Day of Action, the D.C. contingent, held February 24th at Freedom Plaza in Northwest D.C. And that will do it for today's show. I want to thank Gerald Horn and Michelle Roberts for their contributions. The music we played this hour included Stand by Sly and the Family Stone and Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood by Santa Esmeralda. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. You can reach us and listen to complete versions of our shows on our website, onthegroundshow.org. Please like our Facebook and Twitter pages at On The Ground Radio Show. And subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. I'm Esther Ivarum. I'll be signing books at the Black Expo on March 10th at the Renaissance Downtown Hotel in Northwest D.C. 
Until next week, keep raising your voice. Peace.